Ralph Breaks the Internet, the sequel to Disney's Oscar-nominated Wreck-It Ralph, reunites arcade game characters Ralph, voiced by John C. Riley, and Vanellope, voiced by Sarah Silverman. The pair, now inseparable best friends, must head for the internet and eBay to find a broken part for Vanellope's Sugar Rush arcade game. Hey, kid! Wake up! Ralph, what is wrong with you? Start churning butter and put on your church shoes, little sister, because we're about to blast off! Ralph, what is it you're trying to say? We're going to the internet. I'm Carolyn Jardina. Welcome to the Hollywood Reporter's Behind the Screen podcast series. In this episode, directors Rich Moore and Phil Johnson join me to talk about their anticipated sequel, including the much-talked-about Disney princess scene. Rich was also the helmer of the original Wreck-It Ralph and won an Oscar for Zootopia. Phil was also a writer on both Wreck-It Ralph films as well as Zootopia. Welcome and thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks, Carolyn. For starters, most of the film takes place in the internet, and this is such an inventive and rich world. Would you tell us about its creation? And Phil, why don't we start with you? Boy, it was a crazy process to get to this point when we had the idea which was a very early concept like four years ago like oh wouldn't it be funny if a wi-fi router got plugged into litwax arcade and ralph somehow bumbles into the internet and screws something up and rich and i were like awesome we got our movie done woohoo done and Let's then just make it and then you realize this isn't like zootopia which you know we worked on that's a city it's a city of animals, so you can look at real cities and go, okay, it's uh, the comp is a city, but it's just a city for animals. This is anything. It's nothing. It's everything. It's the internet. It's crazy. So how we slowly started to figure out what would the visual metaphor be, the best analogy we came up with, and this is sort of what the real internet is, is like an ancient city like Rome or, or Istanbul, where the oldest part of the city is buried way beneath the strata. And then uh, the, the bottom is, is the old part. Then there's a new city on top of that and a new city on top of that and on and on like that. So it is this, this layer cake kind of where the very newest websites we, we realize would be up on the top, like your, your Googles and Amazons and things we see today. And down at the bottom, the ancient, the ARPANET, you would have, you know, Netscape Navigator and sites that, that are no longer prominent. And Coming up with it like that, that it's this city with an ancient city at its core that is then ever expanding was sort of the first visual metaphor that made sense to us as, as a way of constructing this world. And, and that metaphor actually was kind of born out of a conversation that we had with Ed Catmull, who was our president of Disney Animation and also of Pixar, and he's just retired recently. But Ed has lots of history working in computer science and, and the internet. And Ed explaining in his description of the internet, he was so blunt. And he said, like, if, if the people who began the internet back then knew that so many people would be working or using it today, it would have been a totally different foundation. It's so flawed, you know, that it's, it is like an ancient city that they never 
kind of tore out and redid the, the whole guts of it. They just started building on top of it as more people were using it. They just started putting layer after layer on this infrastructure that was never meant to accommodate the whole world. So that's that's when we started thinking, oh, it is like Rome, it is like Istanbul, you know, and it just keeps growing out, 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 like from that core. But now your your company famously takes these research trips. Yes. But in this case, you took a research trip to downtown Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah. We didn't go to Rome, we didn't go to Istanbul. <laughs> yeah, we went that's to- a good point, why didn't true. we go we to Rome? You know, that, we, oh, man. because we're just not that smart. No, we are not. <laughs> Yeah, we, we went to, uh, by recommendation of a lot of our IT group at, at the studio, they said, you really should see up close like these, these server farms that are really the internet. And the biggest one near us being in the one Wilshire building in downtown LA, which I've seen all my life and wondered like, what is that building, mm -hmm. one Wilshire? And it is literally filled from first floor up to the top with as many servers as they can pack into that thing without it getting so hot that it bursts into flames. And that's when we really started to understand what the internet really is. It truly is servers, wires, cables that are stretching all over the world and housing this stuff that we use every day. And just the tight compactness of that, of that environment really inspired like what our internet city looks like in the film. And let's talk about some of the details because there, there are just so many fantastic details. The search bar, yeah, yeah. <laughs> led by uh, Nosemore. No. Tell us about the concept there. Well, I mean, when we started thinking about what is what is our internet and who, who, who will populate it, we always try to personify inanimate things. So mm -hmm. what is a search engine like? Well, I don't know how it, an egg came up, but it was like the very first idea. It's this little egg, oh, I guess because he was an egghead, like this little know-it-all poindextery egghead guy. Oh, hello, sir. Interesting, you don't seem to have a search history. Well, let's start one for you. What can Nosemore help you find today? Um, Umbrella, Umbridge, Umami. No. Noah's Ark, no doubt. Nordstrom Ergonomics, Urban Outfitters, Urkul. Looks like no one put Humpty Dumpty together again. This guy's a little soft-boiled. I'm pretty sure he's just trying to guess what you're gonna say. Yes, I'm sorry, but my autofill is a touch aggressive today. In very earlier iterations of the film, Ralph was traveling with Nosemore. Like, they, Nosemore was his guide through the internet. But back then, Nosemore had a virus himself, and so every fourth answer was wrong. And so <laughs> Ralph would ask him questions, and Nosemore would give these ridiculous answers that just got Ralph into worse and worse and worse trouble. As the film evolved, we realized we actually we don't need that character as a, as a traveling partner for Ralph, but we do need someone that can be a guide to the internet and give them information. And so uh, when we cast Alan Tudyk, the direction we gave to him was, all right, you're this little egg, this little eggy professor guy that knows everything. And in our minds, we're thinking sort of Truman Capote meets Droopy the dog. And Alan Tudyk, who is like our good luck charm at Disney Animation, just found that and, and brought his own unique energy to it. And it was a joy working with him. And that's one of my favorite characters, our little, little nosy. Now, from a design standpoint, he's CG, but his eyes are 2D. Could mm -hmm. you explain the design 
rationale. He's based on the cartoon modern style of animation that was popular in the late 50s and and 60s. Um, There was a a studio in, in Los Angeles called UPA that was famous, you know, for this style. And there's so many of us at the studio that are real fans of of that type of limited but highly designed animation style. And there's a little method to our madness. It's not just because we think it looks cool, but we we thought since the internet was in the beginning kind of born out of the late 50s, early 60s during kind of the space race era, that it did seem like, okay, that animation style, he's a product of, you know, that time of, of the internet. So he is CG. But the animation style is decidedly, you know, more limited and that kind of personality animation from from that time period. But to really give it a a hand-drawn feel, we wanted to approach kind of the expressions in the eyes and the the ways that the that they the pupils animate. We wanted to kind of have a, a more 2D feel to it. So that's why we, we made that choice. So from Nosemore's Bar to eBay, which mm. is effectively a giant auction site. <laughs> a huge auction house, yeah, with thousands of auctioneers uh, prattling on, <laughs> you know, constantly and selling these crazy items, you know, the, the, where it feels like a, a big swap meet, you know, almost, or a yard sale with all these great crazy items for bid. So we have products. the the portrait of the... the Sorrowful kitten. Sorrowful kitten. kitten. Yeah. <laughs> Black velvet portrait. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we had a tortilla chip that looks like Beyonce. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's accurate. And, uh, yes, yes. my favorite, the gently used artificial hip, <laughs> which in and of itself is its own story. That someone I, <laughs> you know. So Phil, did the writing team have fun coming up with those? They yeah, oh, that was so fun. And we brought in for the voice talent to do the auctioneers in eBay, actual auctioneers. So there's this guy, Brian Curlis, who is uh, like a livestock auctioneer, a champion from uh, Illinois. And yeah. Vivica Foxen, who is a high-end art auctioneer. So we have all kinds of different auctioneers in there. And and I remember recording with Brian Curlis, who is the kindest guy. Like, he's from a town called Pittsfield, Illinois. He's the reigning champ of of, uh, livestock auctioneers. He had never acted in anything, hadn't been to L.A., so we were... We, we were doing this kind of crazy scene with him. And I remember having written down some of the things. All right, Brian, now we'd like you to auction off a gently used artificial hip. And he's like, really? Okay. <laughs> I love some of the crazier mm-hmm. things. And he was just game. He they were all game to do it. It was awesome. What were some of the items that didn't make the film that you had talked about in the writer meetings? A, a dolphin, a porcelain, a porcelain dolphin. dolphin. For some reason, I don't know. That um, seemed to keep working its way back into yeah, them. There were several unicorns that were being sold. There was something from, I feel like we had some reference to Zootopia. Yeah. Do, I, I don't. Rem- I can't remember exactly. Oh, the beaver is is the beaver not uh, possibly an otterton? Is Could that? Be. I think. Yeah. I think Could the be. the beautifully taxidermied beaver. I think the model of that came from Zootopia. <laughs> well, speaking of references to Disney movies, the Oh My Disney site, you mm-hmm. have endless references. First of all, were there challenges to having Disney agree to let you do this? Well, the the whole idea for going to that site, which is a real fan site. By the way, we didn't we didn't make it up. 
it came out of kind of just a silly joke of what became the princess scene of saying, well, what we, we like to just kind of kick around ideas like, well, what are some funny things, you know, that Ralph could do in the internet? And there was this idea where someone said, well, what if he took a personality test or a quiz at one of these sites? And, and the question was, are you an Anna or an Elsa? You know, take the quiz now. And to see Ralph kind of take that quiz and then somehow Anna and Elsa are there and he gets to meet them. And we thought, oh my God, this is very meta, you know, <laughs> that our most unlikely Disney character is meeting classic Disney characters. And we thought, I think there's something here, you know, that this is a movie about the internet. Anything could happen. We could, we could figure out a logical reason why all these characters could be together. And that's how that idea started to snowball. And very quickly, it became more about Penelope because she's a, a technically a Disney princess of her game. We thought it wouldn't be funny, you know, to basically it's a scene with Sarah Silverman in this room with the Disney princesses, you know, at first thinking that she has nothing in common with them. And then by the end, realizing, you know, that she's made great friends with them, that she's inspired a new line of clothing for them, a costume change, and that they actually add a piece to her puzzle of realizing what her true dream is and what her place in the world is through this uh, common theme of, of Disney princesses singing, you know, about their, about their dreams that she doesn't really accept at first, but then comes to realize, oh my God, I'm, I'm part of the tribe. <gasps> Hi. <gasps> whoa, whoa, ladies, I'm a princess too. What kind of a princess are you? Uh, do you have magic hair? No. Magic hands? No. Do animals talk to you? No. Were you poisoned? No. Cursed? No. Kidnapped or enslaved? No. Are you guys okay? Should I call the police? Do people assume all your problems got solved because a big, strong man showed up? Yes! What is up with that? She, she is, is a princess! <laughs> and from there, uh, once we realized, well, this could be at Oh My Disney, this fan site that doesn't just deal with Disney animation characters, but the whole pantheon of Disney with Star Wars and Marvel films and Muppets and Pixar, and one that we didn't include, but we thought was really funny, was the Golden Girls, for some reason, have a huge presence at Oh My Disney. And we were like, what? Golden Girls? And I guess it's because it was a Touchstone television production. And I guess the fans love it, you know, and love to take which Golden Girl, you know, are you? Take the quiz. Um, and we even tried to include it, you know, just to be true to the fan site. But so many of our colleagues said, like, why? why do you have Rue McClanahan, you know, at Oh My Disney? And we're like, well, that's what's there. And they're like, yeah, I don't think people are going to get that. You know, I don't know if that's well known enough, you know, for the fans to get. And in the Marvel section, we have Baby Groot. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Ask Groot anything. <laughs> and you know what he's going to say. <laughs> <laughs> now, for, for the princesses scene, fantastic scene. You also went back and you had most of the actresses that did the original voice, with the exception, obviously, of some of, of the earlier who have, films. Who have passed. And, and, and Mary, Mary Costa is in her 90s and, and has trouble traveling. So, But 11 of the 14 are there are, and, and were mm -hmm. reunited for this film, which is, for a moment, surreal, and then becomes very emotional when 
you realize the 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 weight of these characters and how beloved they are and and our role in shepherding them into a new territory a new generation and bringing them all together i don't think it's really dawned on me completely until now that as the movie is is getting out into the world just how profound that experience was there were so many moments too during it that that i look back and and say to myself oh my god you know we we were able to book some time with each of the actresses after we recorded that they sat with our animators and and really kind of gave them insight you know into the characters that they only know as the voice and a lot of our crew they're very young people a lot of them were inspired to get into animation from seeing movies like the little mermaid and aladdin those second golden age movies so to see like Jody Benson talking with these animators who grew up with the little mermaid and exchanging kind of notes on who Ariel is and it, it was it made me really proud you know never did i think in my wildest dreams that in a Wreck-It Ralph movie you know that we would be kind of bringing the princesses back for this huge homecoming and and having them meet, you know, with, with our crew that will take that information and pass that on, you know, to the next generation. So I'm really, really proud. Not as, only is it funny, but, but it, it really had reverberations through the studio that, that are profound, that, that I too am just coming to realize like how, how deep those moments were. Now, in addition to the look of the characters, and you did have to bring some of them even from a 2D world mm -hmm. to a 3D world, you also have so many of the very subtle mannerisms mm -hmm. from the movies. I assume you went back and... Yes, we studied the films and our animators in particular who were animating those characters. I mean, most of them had posters of those movies on their <laughs> yeah. walls growing up. So it was sort of like revisiting, you know, the dreams of your childhood. But yeah, the gestures. And, and we work with, with Mark Han, who was an animator on several of those so films. Many of those films. He sits in our, in our animation dailies every day and does hand-drawn sort of notes to the animators. He'll be sitting there and we'll sketch a, a, a pose or a few poses. Suggestion. Like, why don't you try it this way? And it's as if... It's like having Picasso there giving you notes on maybe maybe your you know like your stick figure maybe it could be a little better and then Picasso hands you his rendering it's yeah. that's ex I mean think about that that gift we have of having Mark Hand just as a member of our crew doing everything he can to make everything better yeah. and those sequences I think we relied on him as much as anyone in that studio. He's he helped us and kind of be true so, to the original. So many mannerisms actually came from the actresses themselves. You know that we we have a tradition of um, videotaping our our recording sessions, not to use as like a rotoscoping guide or or uh, something that we we follow slavishly, but but just so the animators can look at like well what. What did Sarah Silverman's mouth look like when she said that line? Or what was the expression on their face? And so much of those princess characters, the mannerisms, the style of acting, do come from the actresses of those characters. And we, we were 
blown away every time and i know i've said it before but it still blows me away that they are those characters so much and the animators that animated those characters originally really picked up on something that was very very subtle was each actress recorded separately or did you ever do them in groups there were no groups sessions with with the princesses simply logistically they're all over the world and so we weren't able to bring them together to record. They were all brought together for D23 Expo yeah. and brought on stage, yeah. and it was... With Sarah. Um, yeah. With other performers, we do that always. Like with John and Sarah, every single scene in this movie, they were sitting closer than you and I are right now, looking each other in the eye and feeling what those characters are feeling. And I think it's, it's, it's something I think I'm most proud of in the way we are able to get performances out of these actors simply by letting them be together and act. You know, it's difficult acting in a black box and actually feeling things when there's a director hiding behind a glass screen. You know, so proximity for, for me is where the emotion comes from. And John and Sarah as Ralph and Vanellope are those characters and having them together, I think is why I at least as an audience member feel as much as I do for them. What did the princesses say when you showed them the script for the first time? Well, we, we didn't know what to expect, you know, because it is satire. You know, it's a loving satire. It's kind of poking fun at members of your family, you know, but in a loving way. But we didn't know, like, what, what will they think? And um, when each came in, they were so game to it and they just everyone got it. You know, everyone loved the opportunity to be a part of this scene to the point where they would say, you know what? She wouldn't actually say it this way. You know, she would actually phrase it more like this to where they were giving us notes on, you know, how they were filling in the gaps of things that we didn't know about the characters that only they did. You know, there was a line where it was, I can't do that. And it was Belle, Belle, I think. Yeah, it was Paige O'Hara. Um, said she wouldn't say, I can't. She would say, I cannot. Yeah. Like, she doesn't... She doesn't she, speak in contractions. There would not yeah. be a contraction. She speaks very properly, yeah. and and there will be no contractions. There won't be won't. It will be yeah. will not. Can't. Yeah. Cannot. But. Like, things like that that, you it's know... like, of course, you know. And when you think about it, it's like, that makes perfect sense, but... It's not on our radar the way it is. For we don't like know Paige. those characters yeah. as much as we love them. They didn't come out of our brains and our hearts as they did, you know, with the, the, mm. the, the people that voiced them. So it was true collaboration. You know, no one came in and just kind of like, OK, let's get this over with and do it. It's like they they have deep, deep love for those characters and they're protective of them. But in the same time, they saw the worth of what we were trying to do. Now, on a more serious note, moving on, in addition to the fun of the internet, you did also address some of the darker sides, including how hurtful the comment section can sometimes yeah. be. Why was that important to you to include? Well, we did say from the beginning, in portraying the internet, we shouldn't just show things that we think are, are cool or, or good or fun about it, that we want to give an honest portrayal of it as it is a tool that can be used for great things and it can be used for bad things, you know? So I think in making, in writing the script and coming up with the story for 
this movie. We took a break from it to work on Zootopia. And we spent about a year and a half working on that film. And after being part of that film, we walked away from it with this feeling of the audience is hungry for for more substance in our stories. We can talk about deeper themes like bias, like racism, as in Zootopia. Mm-hmm. So we we said we we really need to kind of focus in on this idea of showing the not so great parts of the internet and online bullying, trolling, angry comments, you know, in comment sections. That's where we chose to kind of really dig in on that. And we never want to, the tricky part is this, we, we never want our characters to feel as if they're solving the ills of the world. Like we didn't want in Zootopia that Judy Hopps is going to solve racism, you know, and it's gone once and for all. Our belief is it's always better to show a character who maybe experiences something difficult like that than commits it themselves, you know, and gets them and and really hurts those around them. And then what do they do to kind of rise above the mistakes that they have made, you know? And to me, those are the types of films that I love. As a kid, there was nothing worse to me than a movie that was lecturing me about how I should live my life. I loved the films that portrayed flawed characters that that make lots of mistakes because that's how I am, you know, as a human being. And I actually got a lot out of seeing how these characters then chose to rise above the mistakes that they made. And and that was the angle that we wanted to take when taking on like these more kind of heavy, you know, issues. You also have a message about friendship. Yeah. A strong message about friendship in this film. Would you elaborate on that? I mean, at, at its core, this is a movie about two friends, Ralph and Vanellope, who, as we begin the film, are the best of friends. And as it expands and this new world, sort of, they enter this new world, their friendship becomes toxic. And we realized that at the end of the first film, Ralph has this line that we love where he says, if that kid likes me, how bad can I be? Which the sentiment is seemingly sweet but as we examined it we realized that's a very unhealthy dysfunctional idea because Ralph is still defining himself by you know the way Vanellope sees him and so in exploring where their friendship could go we wanted it to change we wanted to push it as far as we could into a really you know dark negative territory because all friendships all relationships go through hard times like that and it would be disingenuous just as rich was talking about the internet being all sunshine and lollipops relationships are never like that their Mm -hmm. friendships are never just a straight path to victory. It's hard and you have to work on it. And whether it's a a parent-child relationship, whether it's a marriage or whether it's a friendship, we, everyone goes through tough stuff. And in the case of Ralph, he's deeply insecure. He has a lot of self-doubt. In Vanellope's case, she's, she's codependent. She's, she's not being honest with him. And so the two of them are both making big mistakes and the internet felt like a good place to sort of exploit those kinds of things because it, it can be toxic, just as a friendship can be toxic. And so 
putting them in that spot and then f helping them find a way to fix it and to make it right and to know that the friendship is going to be okay despite the fact that it went through some tough times I think is a universal idea because mm -hmm. I've never been in any relationship that is just perfect. And, and I think it is important to talk about that because there is so much talk about like best friends forever. You know, well, do people think that 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 comes without any kind of work or any kind of hard times or bumps in the road? Like I hear those kinds of, of terms and it, it seems like it makes it feel like, well, if you find the right friend, you never really have to do any other work and you're going to be best friends forever, you know, and, and it feels simplistic. And I worry that when especially young people hit those bumps, that it will make them feel as if like, well, what am I doing wrong? You know, all I hear is that these people have friends they are going to be best friends forever. And look at them. They seem so happy. And there they are with their their crew. And what's wrong with me? You know, that I can't I'm not a best friend forever. The things are kind of falling apart. And again, it's like these were the kinds of films that I liked growing up you know, where I could see myself in the character and the stories were talking about things that I could recognize that I was going through and made me feel like I'm not alone in this world. You know, I am not, I am not a freak. I'm not someone who doesn't know how to live life um, because I see myself up there. And if I see myself, I think other people are seeing themselves up there. And to me, that that was the importance of telling a story like this. These movies take years to make, yeah. and of course you're gonna go through changes mm -hmm. as you're making them. Mm -hmm. What are some of the things that you tried that didn't make the movie? There was a moment where Ralph and Vanellope were in that slaughter race game, and the, Ralph broke the game, the game froze, and there was like a still frame of that where Ralph looked like a big doofus and Vanellope looked cool behind the wheel. And from that, a meme was born of there are two kinds of people, God, a God, Ralph God, and a Vanellope. And, like, and they each sort of got a degree of online fame. And Ralph was looked at as this big moron and Vanellope was looked at as cool. And the two of them... Their friendship was 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 shattered because of that, because this two kinds of people thing, and there's a Ralph or a Vanellope, and and they thought, well, but we're exactly alike. No, no, you're two kinds of people. And and while thematically not bad, mm -hmm. the trouble we had with that idea is that both of them were sort of chasing online fame, which we know is a superficial want and we're not behind that as an audience you're not rooting for that so even if both of them have agency the goal is you just know at a certain point that they're going to go oh this wasn't really what it's all about Th this is home. a bad idea that's <laughs> yeah. that's a that's a reductive idea and so we did though take the the notion of two kinds of people and use that kind of in in the Ralph thinking we are peas in a pod, shoes and socks, we go together. That is what he thinks. It's just the way we hopefully found the story makes it a little more complicated and realistic and that we're we're rooting for them to get that steering wheel 
that so they can go home. We want that to happen, but then Vanellope happens to fall in love with a different place. And I think that's a, a juicier conflict and one that's a, a little more interesting to watch. Now, we also have some new characters in this film, Yes and Shank. Tell us a little bit about shaping those characters and selecting the voice actors. Well, Shank is a boss character in Slaughter Race, the, the new racing game that they visit that Vanellope basically falls in love with that place and decides that's where she wants to, to live the rest of her life. She feels like she's found a real home there, more so than her game back in the arcade. And Shank at first to them is this kind of fearsome boss, this racer, you know, that actually gets the better of Vanellope. It's for the first time Vanellope meets her match in this character who can drive better than her. And as we get to know Shank better, we, we see like that she's actually a very, very wise person, very kind person, like Ralph, you know, that the persona of this, this tough boss is just a role that she plays in the game, that she's actually this very kind of cool big sister type, you know, f to Vanellope, which creates immediate jealousy and conflict with Ralph, you know, because he feels like someone's kind of muscling in on his territory. No, this is my friend. Not not seeing it at all that he gives Vanellope one thing and Shank gives her something totally different. You know, he wants her all to himself. So we said this this has to be someone that anyone would look at and say, oh my God, that is just, I would love to have that person as kind of my my older sister, my big sister, who could that be? And we would describe her as, well, she's kind of a Gal Gadot type, you know? And so who could we get to play this Gal Gadot type, you know? Hmm, you know, we would write these lists and stuff. And then finally someone's like, you guys, what about Gal Gadot? You know, you keep throwing the name around. We're like, yeah, what about Gal that's Gadot? That's a novel idea. You know, that's, why not? And then there was naysayers that were like, really? You think you're just going to write a letter to Gal Gadot and say, we would like you to be in this animated film, and then she's going to do it? You really think that? And we're like, well, we could try. You know, why not? So we sent her a copy of the script, and we wrote her a letter describing what the part is and and letting her know that there's actually a song that <laughs> Shank is, is part of, that, that there's a little singing that goes with it. And within a couple of weeks, we, we were talking to Gall on the phone, you know, just kind of talking more about the part and getting to know her. And it was in that moment that she said, like, I love this. You know, I, I've never done an animated film before, but this really feels like something I, I feel strongly about this. And I'd really like to be a part of it. And we we're just like, great. You know, we would love you know to have you as a part of it and we went back to all those people and said told you because yeah. we are essentially ralph <laughs> yeah. and my goodness what a wonderful person i mean just a joy to work with down to earth you know humble willing to dive in you know singing it's not she loves to sing but she's not known you know in show business for singing but willing to just dive in head first, you know, fearless, you know, in, in the roles that she takes. And and I loved, you know, getting to know her and working with her. And yes. And yes. Yes is uh, another new character. And because Ralph is this guy who's averse to change and wants his life to stay the same, 
we knew we wanted a character that was all about constant change and the latest trends and the newest things. And so, yes, who is voiced by Taraji P. Henson, who is hilarious, one of the funniest improvisers. I mean, we have John and Sarah, but Taraji holds her own with those two in the <laughs> improvisational department. But this yes character is about constant change. She's an algorithm at this site called BuzzTube, which is an online video sharing site. And she somehow just, her brain is like this miraculous algorithm that knows what people are going to like, like a real algorithm. Her costume's changing constantly. Her hairstyle's changing constantly. The things she finds appealing are changing constantly. So within this ever-shifting character, though, She's able to teach Ralph in that comment section you were talking about, kind of about what the internet is, that it is good and it is terrible. And it's this big, it's not black and white, it's gray. And so within this hyperactive, hyperkinetic character is also, again, a true heart. She's a, she's a, a good person who is, is just trying to help Ralph out. And, and I think he gets a lot from her, although he's confused by her a lot of the time as well. <laughs> now, while you were making the movie, the studio went through quite a few changes with the departure of John Lasseter. Mm -hmm. How did that impact production? Well, and that was about a year ago mm -hmm. when John left. And there was a moment where, and John was our chief creative officer. He's He's been involved in every movie that's been made at that studio and at Pixar since he and Ed Catmull came in in 2006. So, of course, it's going to feel like a void, you know, just opened up in a moment. It was like a tragic death or something where suddenly someone who is integral to the process is gone, you know. And, and there's this question of, is he gone forever? You know, is he coming back? What's, what's going to happen here? And Phil and I very quickly said, you know, we have a job to do here. This is a movie studio. You know, we make movies. And this place has never been about one person. You know, it has always been about the creative team, you know, and about imagination and about vision. So we can't let this moment in time cripple what we love to do. So... We're going to keep pushing forward. We know what to do. You know, it's like we've we've worked under John, you know, for two projects so far. We've worked in this business for a long time. We need to jump in and we have a we have a movie to get finished and we can do it. And we said to the crew, it's like, I think we've come to rely on one person a lot or think that we need that one person. Otherwise, we can't function. But we can. You know, we know what we're doing. Um, I think that's the key is that yeah. there's a foundation there of, of people and people within our story trust and people on our crew who are the best in the world at what they do. And we knew, Rich and I knew what we wanted our movie to be. It wasn't a matter of, oh, maybe maybe Ralph and Vanellope go swimming. No, they're going to the Internet. <laughs> their, their friendship is going to be tested. And really, how, how do we execute that? And how can we make this story as tight as possible? And we are always brutal with our stories. Mm -hmm. So really, we just we invited 
we empowered people to to start kicking at the tires and go, all right, guys, your story's not as good as it can be. Make it better. Go harder. And I think, honestly, empowering more people to have that role created a, a healthy, robust Absolutely. feeling. Like for the last 10 months of this production, it was balls to the wall. And I have never seen a crew of people work as hard as they have mm -hmm. on this movie. It was a big movie, you know, but man, I'm I'm thrilled with what it became and with the fact that I think so many people prove themselves by stepping up. Yeah. Jennifer Lee, who's now the chief creative at your company, joined originally as a writer on the oh, original Wreck-It Ralph. Wreck -It, right, yeah. Ralph. So what did she bring to the process and how do you work with her now? Well, I, I met Jen the first day of film school at Columbia. We were classmates and we were both older. We started school just before we were 30. We were both married and, and our birthdays were like two days apart. So we, we were instant friends. And when I met Rich and started working on the first Wreck-It Ralph, I needed help writing the film because I was still living in New York. And Rich met Jen, and we both liked her and trusted her and thought she was a great writer. And so we brought her into the studio. And honestly, her job as CCO is, I don't think of it as radically different than what she would just do as our friend, which right. is push on the story, make mm -hmm. the story better, have good ideas, challenge us. Like, mm -hmm. that's what we need. We mm -hmm. You know, Rich has been doing this for 30 years. He's no slouch. And, uh, <laughs> but what we want is not someone saying, this is how you must right. do your job. You want someone saying, what about this? Did you ever think of this? How's yeah. this? And I think she's, she's an excellent judge of material and just mm -hmm. somehow is able to not take her ego of what she would do with the movie, but like, mm -hmm. what do you guys want and how can I help you do that? Um, which is a unique sort of gift, I think, because a lot of directors will, including myself, look at someone and go, well, I'd do it this way. Right. I think you should do this. So and, well, could you give an example of maybe something that she suggested? I mean, she obviously knows these characters very well. She's great with editing, like right. with cuts. So there was a moment in the, in the movie where mm -hmm. toward the end of the second act, when everything's gone to hell with their friendship, Ralph went back home back home to the arcade and sort of sat in his sorrow and moped for a while. Right. They or they kind of went, they had won the wheel, the steering wheel at, at eBay, had it shipped back to the arcade. Slaughter Race was damaged from the virus that Ralph had put into it. They go back home. They're greeted as heroes. Sugar Rush is saved, but Penelope is now very depressed because she doesn't realize it was Ralph, you know, that that destroyed Slaughter Race. And Jen said, do they really need to go home? You know, do they really need to go back to the arcade? Do we really need to see that, that Sugar Rush has been restored? Because that's not what we're concerned about right now. You know, we're, we're concerned about that ticking time bomb of when is she going to realize that Ralph, you know, was the one behind putting that virus into Slaughter Race. And we're like, let's take a look at that. And the more we kind of start to strip things out, because... That part of the movie was kind of getting kind of slow and logy right there. Mm -hmm. And it should be accelerating. It should be accelerating, like moving into that third act. And as we do with, with these movies a lot, we're like, well, let's try it. You know, I, I don't know if it's going to work. It seems in theory, you know, the right thing to do. I don't know exactly 
the steps to get there. But in theory, that is the right thing to do. It was a great note. It was and a great ended note. Up saving three minutes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. which is and, huge. Which is a lot. It's huge. It in, really yeah, is. In a ninety-minute film, three minutes is a lifetime, and it streamlined the third act. And and that was all from Jen's note. And maybe we would have found that, you know, on our own. But or maybe, maybe the movie would be a failure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's just. It's good to have those strong, experienced eyes on the outside because we're right up against a movie like this, you know, for for years, you know. And sometimes you lose your bearings, you know, in, in these. It's like being in a maze or something. It's like I've gone through this path so many times and it leads to a dead end. What? Well, did you try around this corner? Well, no, I don't know. if. It, hey, this is the exit, you know, so. Mm -hmm. And that's what Jen excels at and, and is perfect for that role. Here's a question that you, you joke about in the movie. Yeah. Why did you call it Ralph Breaks the Internet and not <laughs> Ralph Wrecks the Internet? Just so we could stir debate online. Yeah. <laughs> Just oh so we God. could get mean comments. <laughs> Shouldn't it be Ralph Wrecks the Internet? Yes, yeah, since he is Wreck-It Ralph. Uh, yeah, but... Break the internet, it's like a thing. Right, it's just wreck the internet kind of sounds better, doesn't it? Mm, you're not wrong. It is one of those, unwin it's the Kobayashi Maru of this movie. You know, it's an unwinnable situation where we could have called it Ralph Wrecks the Internet, but then there would be a group of people going, uh, excuse me, the expression is Ralph breaks the internet. You know, it should be breaks the internet, not wrecks the internet. Okay, so let's call it Ralph breaks the internet. Excuse me, his name is Wreck It Ralph. Shouldn't it be Ralph wrecks the internet? So we we thought, you know what? He this was kind of the the deciding factor. He both literally breaks the internet in the third act, and he figuratively breaks the internet by going viral. Thus, it is Ralph breaks the internet. You know, that, that was really kind of when we broke it down or wrecked it down, depending on which words you like better. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or you could just do what it's called in Japan, Sugar Rush Online. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's easier. That or Wi-Fi Ralph in, yeah. in Latin America. <laughs> <laughs> so that it's one of those things. We knew, we knew it was unwinnable, you know, that we were never going to win over everyone with the title. It's a great film. Can we anticipate any more stories with these characters? Will there be another sequel? It's interesting. I mean, we felt like after the first film that, that it was wrapped up and nice little bow put on it. And only with a little bit of distance started started seeing that there was more there were more stories to tell. I was thinking about that question today. And the only thing I can think, I don't want to say yes, but the only thing I can think is Vanellope has just gone through essentially a coming-of-age story where she's, she's finding her way, and we think she's found her way. But as we know, life is full of conflict and things that you're not anticipating. So I could envision a world where Vanellope still has more to learn, whereas Ralph, at the end of the first film, we realized that he still had some self-love he needed to achieve, that Vanellope probably has more, I don't know, there's probably more to it, but I just I'm, need a nap right now. <laughs> I'm Hearing you say that, I'm thinking of the very real experiences that some young people have 
that they are gung-ho to go to college and they get there and don't like it. Mm. You know, that they get what they wanted and have buyer's remorse and want to come home. Maybe that's something. I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. Let's not. Let's not talk. Not yet. <laughs> let's not talk about it yet. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much for thank joining you. us. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Nice talking to you.